0: It's Coalfield & Company. Here we go on a Friday, 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 Cofield and company as we are broadcasting from all over the Western region of the United States, uh, actually Midwest as well. Uh, Cofield posted up here in Albuquerque, getting ready for UNLV at New Mexico. Tomorrow, we'll go out to Indianapolis in just a little bit to talk to Adam Hill, the latest at the Combine, Ladder Raider news the last couple of days, get into the story with the wide receiver, so plenty on the way. So the Rebels, based on last night's result with San Diego State at home against Fresno State, have locked up the five seed. And why is that big for the Mountain West Conference Tournament? Because that means they avoid the play-in day that's Wednesday when 6 through 11 will play games to officially get themselves into the quarterfinals. So UNLV is on to the quarterfinals. They're in the 4-5 or game. The opponent will be Wyoming, who they just played and they just beat at the Thomas and Mac, now things change for the tournament. They change out the floor. It's a little different environment. UNLV should have a solid chance to win the game if they can implement some of the things they did defensively against Wyoming. And hell, if they get a better offensive game out of Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams, then they're in real good shape against Wyoming. But uh, first job at hand is to make sure you stay focused and finish out the season strong at Albuquerque, at the pit, and New Mexico can be dangerous because they have three guards who can score. So we'll set you up for that game a little later on. So that San Diego State-Fresno game was actually fascinating, and I think a really good preview of what the conference tournament could be because it was nip and tuck, a grind-out game, possession by possession, two stars really dueling, in Orlando Robinson, Las Vegas kid who plays for Fresno, and then Matt Bradley was a monster at times, making crazy jump shots, uh, ill-advised shots a lot of times, but he's the one who carried San Diego State, and so did their defense. In the end, their defense came through. Uh, big news yesterday at the combine was the wide receivers running their 40s. So early in the day, Chris Olave, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, who's a great run and catch guy, went out and blew people away with his 40 time, as uh, it was reported to be a 4.24. Now they corrected a lot of the forty times later in the day. It was actually a four three nine. That's super, super fast. Now Olave is a target of many Raiders fans and you know is in some of these mock drafts for the Raiders that are being put out now eight weeks before the draft. And again, you know, we caution, pump the brakes on the on the mock drafts. Doesn't mean a whole lot. So Olave still sub four four and remember when he ran supposedly a four two four, people are like, There's no way he's getting to twenty two with the Raiders. Uh, There's a chance he's around. Um, The other thing to remember is Chris Olave is 5'11 and 180 pounds. So when we get crazy about 40 times, guys are getting faster, and especially the small guys are expected to run really good times. Keep in mind, if this were Chris Olave who weighed 220 pounds, if this were Debo Samuel-sized guy or Jamar Chase-type guy or even bigger DK Metcalf-sized guy, then it would be massive news but you know, being in that four three five to four four eight range for a guy this size is is kind of normal. Uh, the other big news yesterday from the receiver standpoint, check that. This morning, it's been a long day. I already thought it was yesterday. Uh, Mari Cooper. It looks like he's going to be released here in less than two weeks by the Cowboys. So immediately, we'll start getting into the rumor mill and the thought that hey, maybe the Raiders could bring him back. I'm not so sure about that one based on his production last year and also the way he left. And I have no idea what. The new regime thinks of Amari Cooper, Dave Ziegler, and Josh McDaniels aren't going to comment on that anytime soon. Um, would he be a match for the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a legit one receiver. Uh, he would fill that spot uh, they need, um, you know, in addition to Hunter Renfro. So Amari Cooper should be available here in a couple of weeks, so there's going to be a buzz around that with the Raiders. We're going to go out to Indianapolis here in uh, less than seven. Let's do a giveaway right now. we got Tournament. Week going down. It starts real early. It turns out to be like 13, 14 days. we got Pac-12 women in town. Well, the Pac-12 men are in town. They're going to start up on Wednesday. we got four tickets right now, 364-1100, 364-1100. Four tickets to the Pac-12 men's tournament. That starts next week. It goes the 9th through the 13th. You can grab your own tickets at pac12.com slash tickets. Ari's going to hook you up right now, though, 364-1100 caller number 7 and on the way back we're going to get into that Chris Olave 40 time and talk about the Raiders and some of the stuff yesterday from Josh McDaniels on the future with one Derek Carr Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas Now back to Cofield and Company live on the road Back here on ESPN Las Vegas on this Friday, let's go out to Indianapolis, and Adam Hill has been covering the Combine all week as things start to heat up, and I guess yesterday was one of the more exciting days, and we got to see some of the guys run, right? Yeah, I
1: mean, we got to see them run, and we got to see some times, and we got to see some times change uh, quite a bit, actually, significantly uh, late in the night. It, it's weird, because you, you, I think when most people think about the Combine, they think about the on-field they think about the 40 and uh, some of the drills that they go through but it's really such a small part of what actually goes on here I mean uh, media isn't even in there um, it's, uh, it's a couple select fans and uh, all the teams are in there but um, you know the the time spent here covering it is all about uh, talking to the guys you know in, in terms of some of the media sessions and interviews and uh, then talking to you know coaches and, and networking and all that stuff and uh, when they're actually here, uh, those those drills are such a small part of it, but it's still fun to, to finally see them on the field. And I know people were very excited about uh, you know the 40s yesterday, and uh, obviously the quarterbacks out there throwing it around. Uh, now, as we get later in the week, some of the drills aren't quite as fun and TV friendly necessarily because uh, it's you know offensive linemen today, and uh, we got you know defensive linemen tomorrow, that sort of thing, which isn't as as pleasing uh, as on television as it was when we saw the receivers and the quarterbacks yesterday. So, what was the biggest
0: story of the
1: wide receivers running? Well, I think to, for me personally, I don't know if it was for everyone. For, I mean, I, I think speed was the one. I mean, there was uh, in terms of average speed of the wide receivers, it was as good as we've ever seen. Um, a ton of guys under four four yesterday. That was obviously a big, a big story. Uh, to me personally, what stood out uh, was the Chris Olave situation because obviously a lot of people very intrigued uh, by his potential and then maybe going to the Raiders and that's been a name that's been linked quite a bit. And uh, Chris Olave was expected to run really well. Uh, no surprise that he ran well, but the fact that he went four two six originally, uh, I think, changed the dynamic of a lot of things. I mean, my immediate reaction when he ran a four two six was, well, he's not going to the Raiders. He's going to be gone way before that. And not that the the forty changes um, necessarily, you know, it doesn't determine things. We know people have overdrafted for speed before, but uh, if Chris Olave is four two six instead of four three nine. Uh, I think that really changes the the impression of him that a lot of teams can have. I know that he needs to build some strength, uh, but good hands, good route runner. And if he's at four, two, six, forget it. Uh, but at four, three, nine, which is about where we thought he would be, which was the adjusted speed uh, that came out a few hours after the combine, you know, it was done last night. That's about the range you thought he'd be. And now I think that, you know, that 22 range could be around where Chris Olave is. And I think that is, something that could be good for Raiders fans. Not that they'd necessarily take a wide receiver, but uh, I think he would be one of those you know, solid number one guys. Yeah, you
0: know, When we talk wide receiver, it doesn't mean that the Raiders have to take a receiver at 22. They have the second, you know, third, fourth round pick. They're 53 in the draft in the, the second round. Uh, were there any other receivers that ran well or uh, any that you think the Raiders may have interest in? And the other question is, are the Raiders looking for a certain type of receiver? You know, Alave is, what, 5'11", 190. I pointed out yesterday on Cofield & Company that George Pickens, who was hurt most of the year with Georgia, is, you know, 6'3", 205, and he ran a four four three. I don't know if it was corrected to a higher number, but do you get the sense if they were looking for a receiver with a high pick that they're going a little smaller or a little bigger?
1: Well, I would imagine it's somebody a little bit bigger. Um only because, you know, you look around and they're in a really unique position. First of all, who knows if they're even taking a wide receiver? I mean, I think this is just kind of speculation on our part right now when you start looking at where the holes are in this roster. Uh, number one receiver is obviously uh, that that hole that a lot of people notice right away, and they've tried to invest in that. They've tried to to fix that, and obviously through uh, a couple of different circumstances it has not happened, um, you know, I think Brian Edwards is a guy that could step up and, you know, potentially, you know, play that type of a role, but – you know, this is a team that has an unbelievable tight end, uh, an unbelievable slot receiver that I think is only going to take a step forward in this offense. Um, and they've got, you know, some potential, you know, playmakers around them. But th- the guy that's missing is that is that, you know, number one, the number one guy, get, get, throw him in the red zone, throw it up, you know, make some contested catches in traffic uh, and that sort of thing. So I think that's where uh, it's just an obvious spot where you look at and say that could definitely be uh, potential to, uh, to take that guy. Um, I, I just think you start looking down the rankings a little bit. Uh, where, are the, where are those Alabama receivers going to go coming off injury, right? Like, those are the kind of guys that I think if they fall, um, and you're talking about, you know, Williams and, and Mechie, if they start falling in the draft and they tumble to the second, third round, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I can't imagine that it happens, but – you never know with the injuries and, and what people are seeing on the medicals, and, and those are the kind of guys that maybe you get a steal on. You, you take a swing on them and say, okay, we'll take them uh with their you know reduced draft stock and take them uh, at some value. I, th- I think that would be something to certainly watch. Um, Christian Watson is a pretty intriguing prospect to me. Uh, North North Dakota State kid, a little bit later on um, in the draft, where you might be able to uh, to grab him. Um, I, I don't know, Justin Ross. I, I thought was uh, somewhat impressive, uh, kind of speaking to him a little bit. Um, there's definitely guys that are going to be, going to be available. And, and I think if you're going to be waiting on it and you're going to try, uh, to make that pick, I would say that the Alabama guys are the ones to watch. Like they start tumbling down. Uh, those are guys where you say maybe they were first round talents that you can get later in the draft. And if they pan out for you and they're healthy, uh, that would be great.
0: Uh, I know you've been tweeting a lot about a quarterback on a lot of different fronts.
1: Malik Malik Willis or as he was known on the uh, on the show last night Malik Wilson uh, I don't know if you noticed that oh uh, no I believe I believe at least 15 times no close, Malik Wilson. oh boy it's close it's close I've, I've been I mean as you said I've been I've been tweeting about him I've made no secret about it uh, and it's it's Maybe some uh, recency bias is not the right word. Maybe just some uh, confirmation bias. That's what I'm looking for uh, with me is that I, that's the guy. I was asked, you know, going in in a couple of interviews before the combine started, um, you know, who are you most you know intrigued by? Who are you going to be watching the most this week? And he was the answer every single time. Uh, I think that, you know, his combination of just raw talent and ability. Uh, and I think personality wise, he's uh, really stood out quite a bit. Uh, I just wanted to see how he handled kind of this stage. And I think it's he's passed every single test with flying colors. I mean, obviously last night he was just throwing the ball all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there as accuracy questions, and there was one, um, you know, short throw that he had last night that really was kind of ugly. Uh, but I think he was just a little bit jacked up maybe and uh, the ball got away from him. But uh, for the most part, from everything we've heard of his team interviews, uh, he's, he's blown teams away. Uh, obviously on the podium in his interview, uh, here at the convention center. It was, um, I mean, maybe one of the most attended uh, interviews of, of the week. Oh, wow. And and he and he crushed it. Uh, he was awesome. So I just think everything he's done here has been, uh, has been standing out. And I know on the betting boards last night, I got some texts from people that uh, said he's really moving. I, I know uh, I think he went from like third or fourth choice to be the top quarterback off the board to, to a favorite now. Uh, after you know all the buzz that started this week, now I would I would say don't bet it because you're going to see swings wildly back and forth with different guys throughout the next couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, he's been a guy that has absolutely stood out. Right now, all the momentum is with him, um, especially with the uh, baby hands uh, falling down the draft boards a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy that's that's really been impressive to me, and um, I, I think he'll be interesting to follow in terms of where he goes and how much somebody invested him. I know a lot of people are really tying the Steelers uh, to Malik Willis. Apparently there's a a lot of interest there. Uh, I don't know that he lasts that long. I don't think he would, but maybe the Steelers would have to move up. Uh, But, you know, that's a guy that I think is uh, going to make some team pretty happy, and their fans too.
0: He also had a made-for-internet moment, right? Wasn't he caught, I'll use that term, outside the facility helping a homeless person?
1: yeah it's interesting i know i know a lot of people are are kind of reacting to that um you know what you're referring to is there's a video uh, that's going around of um him actually right in front of CNN, most of the place we've talked about quite a bit uh where there's a there's a homeless person there and he stops and he opens up his suitcase and he starts handing out uh some of his clothes to the to the gentleman um a lot of uh, accusations being made that it was a staged moment oh no um, but i don't no, I don't know that that's the case, and I I don't think it's the case. Um, but either way, like he's the type of huh, you don't know you don't know people, obviously. Right. He he, like watching it, it wasn't surprising to me. It wasn't like something like, oh wow, look at that. Like I was like, yeah, that's about what it seems like he would do. Um, but yeah, you you never know those things, and then of course, like the, in this in this era of uh, you know social media and and trying to do everything you can to stand out, like is it possible? Sure. Uh, I, I don't know. It seems like a long way to go uh, to try to make people think you're a good person. I just I just, I think it's silly.
0: Adam with willis he's at the Combine. So we check in on this Friday. Uh, it was a very busy day today. Uh, more busy times coming up over the weekend. Uh, we just mentioned one quarterback, in Malik Willis. You just called another one baby hands. It's very mean. But this is something we get into every year with hand size measurements. And as it turns out, Kenny Pickett extremely small hands but I also think there's a there's a qualifier here because uh, reading a couple of weeks ago I, I thought there were some flexibility issues in his hands and the way he has to measure something wrong with his thumb so what's the deal here because right now by the hand measurement of what eight and a half uh his hands would be the smallest of any starting quarterback in the National Football League
1: yeah uh and I, you know it, is it really that big of a deal I mean Joe Burrow has talked about as uh, having having hands too small and He's been okay. Mahomes was uh, kind of an issue too. I think you want quarterbacks, you know, the, the traditional thinking is nine and a half uh, is kind of the the minimum that you're looking at. Um, and, you know, Mahomes is nine two five, five and uh, Joe Burrow is nine. I, I, th- I think it's kind of overrated uh, at some times, but one of the knocks on Pickett was fumbling and whether that's, you know, the hand size, or as you mentioned, maybe the hand size is small because he can't stretch out the, the hand as much as we would want, but maybe that's also impacting the fumbling issues. I think more than anything, it's, you know, he's pretty loose with the ball when he's kind of moving around in the pocket. Um, Doesn't usually have that second hand on it. Uh, And I think that's been talking to some of the, some of the scouts, that's been a real knock on him in terms of he's got to get that cleaned up, but they think they can get it cleaned up. But, um, you know, if it is a hand issue and it's listen, like put it that way. If, if your hand's not measuring what it should because you can't stretch out your hand enough and you can't open your hand enough to do that, well, that could affect how you play as well, right? And it could, that could get worse even. Uh, so, I think it's something to at least think about and, and I'm sure teams have it on their radar uh, to get a little bit more information about.
0: Yeah, we did bring up yesterday on the air that Derek Carr, his hands are a little smaller than, you know, your, the desired amount. I think he's 9 and an 8th. It's like 16th percentile. And he has had fumbling issues. Um, now, again, the the flip side of this is it's a weird way they measure it from the thumb uh, across the palm to the pinky, and some people are just you know, more flexible. And yesterday it turned into just a major deal on Cofield and Company because uh, I felt like a negative vibe coming from other people on the show and also the internet. Uh, I call them small handers, and they kind of all banded together uh, because I think they were very angry uh, that Kenny Pickett was getting busted on this. Um, and it's funny, in the middle of this conversation, Adam Co-hosting decided to measure his hand and his whole take on this hand thing being irrelevant just changed because he turned out to be in the 9-inch club, um, and he just went, he went crazy. He went crazy. So, I, I don't know. I guess it's a big factor amongst quarterbacks, and apparently it's a big factor uh, in the sports radio world because if you're a guy like Ari or our, our good friend Chuck, or even you, Adam, you have no flexibility in your hand. You're the biggest guy on the show, and your hands are not that big. I think it's – I'm not I'm... – Okay. You were you were you were um, you were over nine, but you know, for a guy who's six three, six four, or six three and a half, or six four and a half, whatever half inch measure you want to use, um, you know, if you were a tackle prospect and they wanted some big mitts, I think you'd be in trouble in the draft. Uh,
1: yeah, but I got a very strong, good good punch. <laughs> you have a good punch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm okay.
0: What are you 45 now? I mean, your your punch. You don't get so, to use, yeah. you don't get to use your punch like you used to. Uh, you know, in, in local Vegas bar. I don't know. I might, through, I might go through the
1: uh, through the drills
0: tonight, though. Was there any other quarterback who got some discussion? I've already seen quarterback rankings and changing rankings. I'm like, this seems a little bit early. But anyone else who had some buzz?
1: I mean, I think your boy uh, Carson Strong uh, looked pretty good throwing the ball, and and, and uh, Desmond Ritter, I thought, went through uh, some of the some of the uh, other drills really well. I mean, I thought he you know, he crushed it in the 40. Obviously, I thought the the vertical was pretty good. The the jump was pretty good for him. Also, you know, side note to that, I uh, uh, went out to dinner last night after everything was done, uh, wearing the UNOV hat, you know, representing Vegas here in uh, here in Indy, and uh, sat down at the table, looked to the side of where we were sitting, and Carson Strong just happened to be sitting, like, right next to me. You know, the tables are kind of your back-to-back a little bit, but we were, like, literally a foot apart. And I realized that I'm wearing the UNLV hat, and he's kind of looking at it funny. Oh wow! Uh, and I said, I was like, hey, I was like, "Hey, sorry about the hat, bro." And he's like, "No, it's okay, it's okay." Uh, so I, I kind of made made a reference to it, but um, he was very cool. And uh, and he was sitting with uh, Desmond Ritter, actually, kind of going over things. And it, it listen, it's it's funny when you know you don't think about these things, because you think about you know these guys that are on TV, and you think about guys that are going to be about to dra- be drafted in the NFL, and you know they there's a certain you know. You know, you you look at them as almost celebrity, maybe in some level, but they were they were watching TV. It was a sports bar. And on TV, they were debating whether Desmond Ritter, you know, translated to the NFL, and how (laughs) how he's going to play. And Carson Strong and Desmond Ritter are kind of like, like not freaking out about it, but they're like they're kind of laughing like, oh, this is funny. And, you know, uh, Carson Strong took a video of Desmond Ritter watching discussion of Desmond Ritter on TV. Nice. Um, so they still have that kind of youthful you know, energy and, and excitement about it, which I thought was a, a cool thing to notice.
0: Yeah, as big time as college football is, this is the big time, fellas, especially at the quarterback yeah. position and during the draft. My God, uh, every guy you know in the top ten of quarterbacks is going to be sliced and diced and promoted and debated. Uh, Adam, sit tight. We're going to go back to the Combine here in a couple of minutes. We take a quick time out here, and on the way back, we'll get into uh, more of the Raiders' needs and also some of the things that uh, – We're uttered by Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. You're listening to Cofield & Company, live on the road. Back to Indianapolis. The combine is going down. Adam Hill is the man on the scene for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's a member of the company here on Cofield and company. All right, Adam. Let's talk about uh, some of the discussions with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. You guys got more media availability with the new uh, Chiefs of this Raiders organization, and you know the headline was uh, both were very positive on Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels went as far as saying uh, absolutely no doubt about it about Derek Carr being the Week One quarterback in twenty twenty two for the Raiders.
1: I don't know. I, I have a little bit of a, a different take on this because I know if you if you look at the context of what Josh McDaniel said in print, it looks like it's like the most ringing endorsement of all time, right? I mean, it, I, I think if uh, if I'm, I'm thinking back to the exact wording, I think it was sure, yes, absolutely. I think was the answer to the question of if you if there's a guarantee that Carr is the starting quarterback week one, um, which sounds pretty convincing, right? But I think you have to put it in a little bit of context. And I'll say this: that the words that they say, the words that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler say about Derek Carr, mean zero. They mean absolutely nothing. And and I don't say that because you know they they don't matter, or they're not, or they're lying, or they're being disingenuous, or anything like that. But like that's the only way to answer the question. Like right now, yes, Derek Carr is a starting quarterback. But obviously, things can change. And and I think when you when you listen to what they've been saying, uh, and I actually talked to—I framed a question like this to Ziegler. I said uh, that you—you've probably been asked between you and Josh 150 times whether Derek Carr is the starting quarterback for the Raiders, and they're trying to answer it differently every time, and they're trying to give you know some context and some funny ways. And I thought when you know when McDaniel's answered the question about Carr, and then the follow-up was, "Well, do you guarantee he's the starting quarterback week one?" He goes, "Sure." And then and then he's like, I think in his mind, he's like, well, that didn't sound convincing. And he's like, yes, uh, absolutely. Like, he, And I'm not saying he's equivocating or anything like that, but like, really it's the only way to answer the question because even if he wasn't, even if the proper answer is, hey, yes, we're trying to trade him, you would say he's your starting quarterback. Words mean nothing. Is that, yeah, you can say he's your starting quarterback, but have you started to negotiate an extension? No. Well, have you listened to trade offers? It doesn't sound like really they have, and they really can't at this point. So until they do one of those things, we really don't know what they're feeling. Like, if you think he's your quarterback, start negotiating an extension. And if you don't, then don't do that and, and start try to look for trade offers. But we'll see by their actions what they want to do with their car, not by what they say about
0: it. Let's close on the Raiders discussion with Adam Hill. He's at the combine in Indianapolis by talking about potential contract extensions and uh, you know the big contract site out there is uh, what spot spot track or spot rack or however you say it that site had contract projections for the Raiders first of all it had uh, extension for Derek Carr four years 145 million dollars at 36 million dollars a year does that sound realistic what do you think of that
1: it sounds realistic I mean I I wouldn't do it if I was the Raiders. Um, But it sounds about right. I mean, they're really good. That site that you're referencing is really good at those projections of, you know, what the value is, how value is seen and, you know, where the market would be. Um, And that has always that sounded about right uh, from the beginning. Now, again, I think Derek R wants, I think, to see 40. Um, I think that's what his agent is going to want. Um, But if it was a couple more years, like if there's two years for 40 or four years for 36, um, I think they'd probably they'd probably be pretty happy with that four years for thirty six maybe, but um, I wouldn't do that if I was the Raiders. That does sound about the right value. I've, I've said that from the beginning. I like I think Derek Carr deserves a, a big contract and a lot of money, um, but I wouldn't do that if I was the Raiders. I would say, hey, you deserve to be making say you know three years forty million a year. We're not going to do that, but if you want two years for thirty million a year, we'll do that. And that's below market value, and we're we're probably ripping you off on some level. But if if that's what you want to do, we'll do that. And if you don't, then you can go get the money that you deserve somewhere else. And I think that's that's kind of the situation they're in.
0: Josh Jacobs extension four years, forty million.
1: There's no chance that I would do that. Um, but again, that's nothing against Josh Jacobs. I, I think Josh Jacobs is a is a very so yeah. I mean, Josh Jacobs, I just wouldn't do. Uh, and it's not against him. He's a good football player. Uh, he's very talented. Um, I just I, I don't I don't see paying running backs and it sucks for them. I do think there needs to be something done about getting them paid earlier, um, getting their salary structure a little bit different than everybody else. So that they get their money because we we really do have a league where they just beat these guys down and then tell them when it's time to get a contract. Oh, you're beaten down. Yeah, you did this. Right. Like, you did this to me. This sucks. So I think running we need to figure out a way to get running backs more money early on in their with their rookie deal with the scale um, and, and figure that out because. It just really is not fair what's done to them. But at the same time, if I'm a team, I'm doing the same thing. I'm not paying running backs. And, and if you want $10 million a year, you probably deserve that, and you can go get that somewhere else. It's not going to be for me, especially a guy that doesn't catch the ball at the backfield.
0: I guess this is where, uh, as Mark Davis said, his dad told him, you know, you're know, you not going to be a good owner because you like the players too much. Mark's going to have to be yeah. way away from the situation when uh, Ziggler and McDaniels are working out these deals. Last one on contract extension projections. I thought this is really interesting. Max Crosby, four years at fourteen mil a year. Hunter Renfro, four years at $17 million a year.
1: It's interesting. I, I, man, the Crosby deal is one that's going to be fascinating because of a couple of reasons. Obviously, he, he stepped his game up to a completely different level this year. He was fantastic um, for them, especially against the pass. Still leaves a lot deserted against the run, but he got a lot better in that area, and I think there's room for even more growth uh, as he continues to expand his game a little bit. Um, I think he's probably worth more than that. I think he'll probably get a lot more than that. Uh, but there are still some question marks. and There's some question marks about how he fits in this defense. Um, I don't know how they're going to use him or how they're going to try to figure that out. They've said all the right things about, hey, we, you know, we're going to build our defense to fit the guys that we have, and we're going to put guys in position to succeed. And I think that they're going to try to do that. But um, it will be, it'll be interesting to see how they feel about it, because I, I will say, and this is kind of the, the what I thought was the most newsworthy thing to come out of that discussion, um, and it's the story that I wrote when I specifically asked uh, Dave Ziegler about a contract extension for Max Crosby and Max Crosby will be going into the last year of his rookie deal this year. His answer was, we have a lot of things to work on. We have to pick and choose what our priorities are. And, you know, right now uh, we have a lot of other things that are our priorities, which to me is like, that's not something we're going to be working on anytime soon. Um, he, what he said was. That's the kind of thing that might, you know, develop organically. So, you know, maybe as they're going through and, and building the roster and putting some pieces together, uh, you start to say, "Hey, maybe you get, you get some financial security, or you get some, uh, you know, some cost certainty on Max Crosby. Maybe you do a deal that way." But right now, it doesn't seem like the highest priority to get Max Crosby a new deal as he goes into the last year of his deal, and that's, I think, a risk uh, for the team a little bit, but maybe even more of a risk for Max Crosby, who would probably be. At a very high level of of negotiated power right now, uh, that he you know might have a tough time topping the season he just had, and might not be as in that struggle position next year, even if he is a free agent.
0: Adam Hill in Indianapolis at the combine. Uh, you are coming back to Vegas tomorrow. I assume you're coming back to cover both UFC on Saturday and probably VGK on Sunday. You know, we keep talking about the Golden Knights and this uh, playoff push, and they'll be healthy at the right time, and that's the most important part of the season. I mean, we're approaching uh, 25 games, uh, you know, down the stretch here, the final 25, 26 games. My Lord, against the Bruins, wasn't good. We're talking now, what, 2-6-1 and one over the last nine. The two are against the Sharks, who they always beat. I- I'm not saying the organization's going to panic, but – There's got to be a sense of urgency around there to start getting things done here. It's getting a little late in the game.
1: It is, but I mean, listen, this is... I think we've known for a little bit now, at least a month, month and a half, um, that this is a team that just needs to figure out how to get healthy and just find a way to end the playoffs. Like at, At this point, yeah, you want a better seed, you want to have a better matchup and all those sorts of things, but like they just want to be in the tournament right now, and I still think that's a... It's not a certainty... But I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure uh, that they're confident they're going to make it. I'm pretty confident they're going to make it into the playoffs. And then it's about how healthy can you be um, and just you know, finding a way to navigate those waters. I mean, we saw what happened to the Canadians last year. Like Those things can happen in the NHL, and I think most people believe that if the Golden Knights are healthy, they actually have a spot at the table in the playoffs, they're going to be a very dangerous opponent for everyone.
0: All right, Adam, enjoy the rest of the time in Indy. We'll see you when you're back in Las Vegas. Thank you. Sounds good. There he is, Adam Hill in Indianapolis on this Friday afternoon, covering the Combine and covering your Las Vegas Raiders. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Webster out to Ham. Open for a three. His three is good. Royce having a big night. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live on the road. This is our coach portion of the show. We're actually going to talk to uh, Boise State. Head coach Leon Rice in about twenty minutes here on Cofield and Company, but our basketball insider, former assistant coach at UNLV and lots of other stops, Joe Esposito is in. What's up, Joe? No, uh,
2: oh, gigs are great, man. Good to hear your voice. You Out in yeah. Albuquerque.
0: Yes, yes, getting ready for New Mexico and UNLV. So you hear Royce Ham hitting the three on the way back, and you know the the seniors all had different stories. Uh, Mike Nuga was kind of. In, You know, in and out of the lineup, uh, coming off an ACL injury, he had some big plays this year. Ham was really big. I mean, a guy who really didn't play Joe much at Texas, and he came into UNLV and played the entire season. Went heads up against Graham Ike the other night. Had 17 and 10, and the guy, you know, was uh, closing the regular season out, averaging around eight points and nine rebounds, and he really helped him.
2: No question. I mean, again, a double double that last game. I mean, you know, he's a guy that was so you know well taught at high school. Like everybody really wanted the kid and. You know, he was was a heck of a player, and there was a lot of potential there. And everybody try to wonder what was going on with him, you know, what was his deal when he was at Texas. But, you know, sometimes kids just don't fit some systems. And I think for him, I think he's more comfortable. And, you know, when you really look at UNLV's season, you know, they've had a good, good year. I mean, I think Coach Kruger needs to be applauded for the the effort that he's had. They had that one bad spurt. If you remember back when they played Michigan – and then they lost five out of six. And they're a playing team. They play Michigan, which is a good team. Wichita State's always tough to beat. Um, UCLA, SMU, who ha- who's having a great year, finished second in the AAC. And and San Francisco, those were all those games early. And ever since then, if you look for the rest of the year, they've had a good year. Take away the Air Force game, Utah State maybe. I mean, they're fighting for a second-place finish. So they've had a great year, and they really could be a dangerous team in this tournament.
0: Yeah, they definitely have to get uh, Bryce Hamilton free over these uh, next couple of games. If they're going to make a run in the mountain West conference tournament because Wyoming, man, they, they went all out face guarding Bryce and then double teaming him. And then Bryce didn't get a whole lot of help. He got help from Justin Webster. So that was big, but it's going to be interesting because now everyone's seen Bryce Hamilton. And the mission is to not let Bryce Hamilton get clean shots, any kind of clean looks.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think that's great. And I, and I, you know, I know that teams and coaches have these approaches where we're going to take one guy out. Well, the good thing about UNLV is there are other weapons. And I'll tell you this. We always talked about when a guy's getting face guarded and when a guy's getting double teamed, use him as a screener. Because now when you set a screen, there's two guys screening with you and it's going to free somebody open. The way you win those games is you need somebody else to step up. And I think that's what's happened the other night with Royce and Webster. I mean, if they can do that, Bryce is such a great decoy for them now. And the year he's having, I'll tell you, if he's not on that ballot for player of the year, uh, I'll be shocked.
0: Who's going to win the conference tournament in the Mountain West? Uh, San Diego State, Boise, CSU, could it be Wyoming? Is there someone else? You know, you mentioned UNLV is dangerous. Who do you think is going to win it?
2: I think San Diego State. I think they're just moving up in the right direction. They won eight of their last nine. You know, they have no Quadrant One losses um outside the quadrant one you know they haven't lost any games i'm sorry so they haven't lost any games outside quadrant one and right right i really believe that san diego state's playing well i think they're getting better at the right time dutch has a way of playing well late in the season so i feel i feel good about them i really do but hey depending on how it all unfolds as far as the seedings you know unlv could be what a five four
0: they're locked into the five they're locked into the five and they'll play wyoming in uh, the quarterfinals on Thursday. They both skip Wednesday.
2: And that's going to be a tough game. You know, Wyoming's going to be a tough game. But Wyoming, I think, has fallen down a little bit. You know, they have lost four of the last six. So, and, and that's tough because then you've got to play number one, Boise. And, but, you know, Boise, it's tough to beat a team three times in one year. It's been said a million times. So if they can get by uh, Wyoming, that Boise State game will be unbelievable.
0: Joe, what are your thoughts? And we're talking to Joe Esposito, or ncaa basketball insider what are your thoughts on the coach k finale well
2: you know it's pretty cool i mean it's a guy that has done so much for the game i can't believe the ticket prices though holy cow (laughs) i mean if you've ever been in that arena it is just nostalgic i mean it is unbelievable i remember the first time i walked in there i it's nothing like it's like a high school gym it really is and and when you see it on tv you don't really realize but it's amazing. I saw some, the lowest price ticket I could find was $3,400. Wow. And you're going for 50000 They invited back all 208 of his former players that played for him. But just think about this. They're playing North Carolina. I mean, how perfect. That environment, that situation. And when you look at Coach K, he's had so many great players. And we were going back and forth with some of my buddies. Who do you think, Steve, was the best player to play for Coach K?
0: Hmm. Well, I'd like to go like super old school and be a cheese ball and, you know, say. Well, no, I was going to go even further back than, than Coach K. Um, uh, I will say, uh, I guess, based on maybe what he did in the pros, Grant Hill, who's the best player ever? Who do you think?
2: I, I think Grant Hill's way up there. I, yeah. I would probably have to say Christian Leitner.
0: Yeah. I mean, he a
2: two time champion and he was a heck of a player for him. I mean, Jay Williams was a great one. I mean, there,
0: the list so hey, hey, Joe. He didn't have yeah. an NBA career because of the car accident, but you could probably argue Bobby Hurley.
2: Yeah, Bobby Hurley's got to definitely be up there. I mean, you got to think about him and guys like Johnny Dawkins and there's just so many – Danny Ferry. I mean, you can go through the whole list. And then there's that brother combination of the Joneses brothers, you know, Tyus and his brother. Um, man, they, they were a great combination too at Duke. So there's been so many great players, and I think that, that environment, that game, Coach K deserves every bit of it. And we're really losing an icon in the game of basketball with him stepping away. And they asked him in an interview, "Are you, how involved are you going to be? He said, not at all. So it's going to be different not having him around college basketball.
0: And, and to me, he's doing it the right way. You know, he's not coaching until he's too long in the tooth. He's not doing Joe Paterno. I mean, frankly, he's not doing Jim Beheim. I, I saw Beheim getting all froggy and snippy with someone. Ask him about his future, and he keeps saying, you know, I'm not leaving, and I just heard him the other day, you know, saying, hey, I don't want to leave off a losing season. I mean, the handwriting's on the wall here, and then they already had one succession plan. You know, Duke's going to John Shire. They already had one at, at Syracuse, and Hopkins is like, I can't wait around. I just – I don't think Boeheim is handling this the right way. I mean, this has been this has been a long run of just really kind of mediocre results.
2: Yeah, you know, he's a 15-15 and 15 this year, and, you know, I really thought he was going to give it up this year too because both of his boys are seniors. So I figured that he was going to give it up. And he's sitting at 77 years old. And, you know, whether they want him out or not, they're not going to do anything until he makes his decision that he wants to go. So, you know, he brought in a really good class of freshmen. He probably told them that he'd be around, so he's going to try to keep his word. But I think the the writing's on the wall here soon that he's going to have to go ahead and give this thing up before it gets out of hand and spirals too far down for somebody to recover quick.
0: Who do you think is going to win the ACC Conference Tournament? You know,
2: they're, they're also tough, but I'm going to go with Duke. I think I think Duke's going to have that, you know, great finish. I think they're going to make a run. I believe that, you know, with coach K and and the whole excitement. But you know, there's a team in there that nobody ever talks about, Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame is right there to sit and tied with, you know, North Carolina in second place and and that's a team you really don't hear a lot about. Um, but I thought the ACC, ACC was way down. When you see teams like Florida State having a losing record in the conference, and Syracuse, and Clemson, and Louisville, and I mean, you just look down the list. I thought it was down this year. But I really believe that Duke has got the best opportunity to win that tournament.
0: Who's going to win the Big Ten tournament?
2: Big Ten. That's another one that's really, really an interesting one. You know, uh, Greg Gard's done a great job at Wisconsin. They finished first. Uh, I'm going with Purdue. I think Purdue – see, this is what I believe. I believe that when you get to these tournaments, these conference tournaments, and you get to the NCAA tournament, the games shrink. There's not as much scoring. Possessions are so important. And I know with Purdue, with their big inside and the way they play, and Wisconsin as well,
0: I think it will be those two teams. But I think Purdue is going to win that uh, tournament. All right, let's come out west. Arizona clear favorite to win the Pac-12, even though they just did have a blip you know, on the schedule, weird loss at Colorado?
2: I think they do. Um, I really do. I believe that Arizona's the best team. I mean, they got three losses on a season. Yeah. I believe that they're the best team in that league. And, I mean, Oregon's not going to get in the NCAA tournament unless they win this thing. So, they're going to be playing for blood. But, you know, USC and UCLA are both really good teams. But I really believe that Arizona's the best team. And, and Tommy Lloyd's got to be up for coach of the year for the nation.
0: He's done an amazing job. Uh, Big 12, just a two-horse race, or is there someone outside of uh, Kansas and Baylor who can win it?
2: Well, Texas Tech. I mean, Texas Tech's got a great team. They really do. They play so hard defensively. I think what's going to hurt them in the tournament is they don't have a true point guard. They, they point guard by committee. Um, they've gotten away with it all year. They play so well on a defensive end. They'll definitely shrink a game. The best game I've seen all year was Texas Tech at Texas. It was just a dogfight. Um, you know, I love the Baylor Bears. I think they're having a great year, uh, but I'm going with Kansas. I'm going to go with Kansas in the Big 12. I think they'll be ready for that tournament. I think they're playing, you know, pretty well. Baylor probably is playing best in that league. They've won four in a row, but I'm going to go with Kansas.
0: SEC, do you want to bet against Arkansas? The way they're playing right now,
2: you know, they are they are playing, <laughs> they're playing great. It's unbelievable. I mean, it is. I mean, they just they're playing great. They have just they won five in a row. And they're beating the right teams. Auburn's, you know, probably talented enough to win it. Kentucky, of course, I think it's a three-man race right there. But uh, I'm going to go with Auburn. I'm going to take Auburn. I really like uh, the big kid Smith. I think he's a great player. I coached him in the summer last year. And I really think that they're going to they're going to be the team to beat in that thing. And, and don't count Kentucky out. When Kentucky gets rolling, they're healthy. They're playing well. I think they're going to be a team, too, to be fighting for the championship. But I'm going to go with Auburn.
0: Getting ready for conference tournament week is uh, Joe Esposito is here with us. We got five of these tournaments in Las Vegas. Uh, one last thing on the SEC: uh, Kentucky is a favorite in the SEC at plus one seventy five. Third choice is Tennessee at plus three forty, and then it starts to drop off a lot down to Alabama and LSU at eighteen to one. What happened to Alabama this year?
2: You know, the ball wasn't falling for them. It, it was interesting because they came out so strong, you know, and and I think after a while, for for whatever reason, they. They just kind of slumped. I mean, they were, in a, they were in a really good position early. They were playing well. They were shooting the ball well. And then they got into that Auburn, Kentucky. Their schedule kind of went. They they played Georgia and lost. And then they came back and beat Baylor. But then they dropped two in a row to Auburn and Kentucky. And I think that kind of slowed them down. They lost to Kentucky again. And then they lost to A&M. So they've been so up and down. You know, losing to a team like A&M and losing to a team like Georgia, you would think, you know, what's going on there? Uh, let alone they lost to Mississippi State. So they've had some tough losses. Uh, don't forget about that Davidson loss, and Davidson's having a great year. You know, they did lose to Iona and Rick Pitino, if you remember, real early. I think that uh, Alabama's been just up and down, and they've got to shoot the ball well to win games.
0: Big East feels real wide open, even though uh, Villanova's a plus-140 favorite, but right behind him, UConn, Providence, Marquette can be dangerous. Obviously, uh, Seton Hall's got a very solid team. So what happens in the Big East?
2: I like watching Providence play, man. If you watch Providence, I think they just play really well. They screen well. They really read the ball. I mean, I love the way they play. Obviously, Villanova's always a good team. You know, Creighton's having a decent year. UConn's got the horses now. They got the horses. They can play with anybody and the job that Choc has done at Marquette. But I'm going to go with Providence. I think Ed Cooley has done one of the most incredible uh, jobs at Providence this year, and I think they're they're going to be the team
0: to beat. AAC can uh, SMU knock off Houston again?
2: Whew, I don't know, but you better look out for uh, Memphis. I That's mean, a good point. You know, Memphis is a team that you know could beat all those teams. They have the talent to. It just depends what side of the bed they wake up on. Like, are they going to play for penny or are they going to play for themselves? And they've had problems all year long, but they have won three in a row. Um, so they're the hottest team in the league, except for obviously Houston, who's won six in a row. But they're right there. I mean, I think Memphis has got a chance. I think uh, SMU's kind of overachieved a little bit. I think it's going to come down to Memphis and Houston. But I'm going to go with Houston. I think they got the coaching edge. I think he'll do whatever he can to beat Memphis. Have a better plan, and I think he'll just outcoach them.
0: Joe, one uh, last question. I saw Rick Patino release a statement that he wasn't interested in the Maryland job. Should he be interested? And should he make one last run at the at a Power Five gig if they want him?
2: I think that he's doing exactly what he wants to do. You know, the guy's worth over fifty million dollars. He makes over a million dollars at a nice small school at Iona. He loves living in New York. He's not too far from Little Italy and and Arthur Avenue. <laughs> he's getting go. great. He's getting great food. I don't think he leaves. He dominates that league, and he's a guy that just loves to be comfortable. He's got over eight hundred wins. I think he rides it out into the sunset at Iona for for a pretty good amount of years. I don't think you'll, you'll see him quitting soon. He's got in his blood. I think he finishes at Iona.
0: Joe, enjoy all the basketball coming up the uh, next week, and we'll talk to you next week.
2: It's going to be exciting. Take care.
0: There he is, Joe Esposito, former assistant coach at UNLV. He's had jobs at Memphis and Texas Tech and Minnesota and lots of other stops, and he always joins us uh, towards the end of the week to wrap up and look ahead in the world of college basketball. Coming up, another coach is going to come in. We'll get you uh, more prep for the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Leon Rice is going to join us. But before that, let's give away some tickets to the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Caller seven three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero Ari's got your hookup. Free tickets to the Mountain West Conference tournament. The women are uh, kicking things off as we speak. The men are going to be playing starting on Wednesday, as I told you earlier. UNLV is seeded fifth, so they're going to be playing starting on Thursday. But this is going to be a, a great tournament, a wide open tournament. You saw last night Fresno down on the sixth hole, uh, almost took out San Diego State on the road. So this is going to be really exciting, and who the hell knows what's going to happen in the quarters and what the Semifinals are going to look like 3-6-4-1100.
1: Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Sports
0: radio with a laugh track. I thought the kid just shot the puck on its edge and made it... <laughs>